0: Get to Luke chapter 10 this morning, we're in verses 38 through 42. Listen to Him. Those are the words from God the Father concerning His Son. If you remember, if you've been with us in this series in Luke... Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up a mountain and on top of that mountain to those three disciples, he unveiled his shining splendor and his majesty to them. In some sense, the fullness of the radiance of his glory was veiled under his humanity. But on this occasion, Jesus pulls back the veil for a moment and they see his shining splendor. And the Apostle Peter did what the Apostle Peter does. He began to talk. And in the middle of his little speech there, God the Father interrupts Peter and says, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And one of the fun things about preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible is we see themes kind of come back to the forefront. And that's what we have here. Another reminder of the importance of listening to Jesus, listening to the Son. There is nothing more pressing than hearing and believing and keeping the message of Christ. But since we are frail and weak and and sinful people, we are often distracted from that which matters most. Everything else in life feels so necessary, It, it feels so urgent to us. You know, we just prayed about a few of these things in terms of our calendars or a busy week at work. Maybe we have some family obligation this coming week. Our daily routine, our appointments, they can, they can pull at us and they scream at us that they are more urgent than that which is most urgent. You know, many of these things are important, but we see this morning in our text, but one thing stands above them all. So we gather this morning to remind ourselves of what is most necessary, what is Best, we encourage each other, and God reminds us through His Word what truly matters listening to the Son. Many of us are are familiar with the story of Mary and Martha, and it's always always fun to preach familiar texts, and it's always a challenge to preach familiar texts, as many of you know this story. What we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, one of these ladies at a time, we'll look at Martha. First, and then we'll look at Mary. We see first the subtle danger of distraction. The subtle danger of distraction. You know, I've got verses here, but we are going to kind of jump around and look, look at each of these ladies. Look at verses 38 through 40, though. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So, as Jesus continues his ministry, knowing that his ultimate destination is to arrive in Jerusalem, where he, where he will be crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He enters a, a little village here as part of his traveling ministry, as part of his teaching ministry, as part of his training of his disciples. You remember back in chapter 9, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. Now putting, putting details together from other gospels, this village is a village called Bethany that's, that's outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But Luke is a lot more interested in the events that take place in this village rather than providing details about the village so that he doesn't even mention it. And there's a lady in this village named Martha who welcomes Jesus into her house. And if you remember in in previous passages when Jesus sent out disciples to go preach and proclaim the message of the kingdom, he said, there will be many who reject you. And this is what you do when you are rejected. But there will be some who welcome you. And when they are welcomed into the home, it was, it was evidence that these people were sensitive to the message of the kingdom. And Martha is one of these ladies. She welcomes, she receives Jesus into her home. You know, at some point, you, you know, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who, you know, you can read about that in the book of John At some point, they become close friends with Jesus. In fact, it says that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But we don't really know how this all falls in terms of the timetable. This may be their first interaction. It may not be. But she receives, she welcomes Christ into her home. And there were pretty lofty expectations when you received somebody into your home. This was a a big hospitality culture. Remember back in Luke chapter 7, in verses 36 through 50, with the the woman who was known in the city as a sinner, and she came in and she was weeping, and she she didn't didn't have anything to wash Jesus' feet with, so it was her tears and her hair, and she anoints Jesus with, with oil. And Jesus wanted to demonstrate to Simon the Pharisee That, that Simon, you don't love me because you don't know that you need to be forgiven of your sins. Well, what did Jesus use to prove to Simon that he didn't love Jesus? He didn't show him hospitality. He didn't wash his feet when he came in. He didn't anoint his head with oil like this lady did. He didn't greet him and receive him the way he should have been greeted and received. So there's these lofty expectations for hospitality, and Martha gets busy serving. You know, it's probably the meal that is taking up the bulk of her energy at this time. And she's, she's getting with it, right, in the kitchen. She is, she's getting busy being a hostess. Meanwhile, her sister Mary sets her, sits herself at the feet of Jesus and begins to hear his Teaching. In fact, you can notice in the text there the, the contrast that is set up in verses 39 and 40. Um, you know, Martha's welcomed Jesus into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Verse 40, but... Martha was distracted with much serving. So you see, we see early on in the text the setup between the difference between Martha and Mary. One is distracted with much serving, but the other one is sitting at the feet of Jesus. In this contrast, it is grinding Mary's gears. You know, I imagine her kneading some dough, and as she gets more and more frustrated, the dough gets more and more punishment, and she's grumbling underneath her breath there. She is getting frustrated that she is the only one willing to do the work of hospitality. You know, maybe you've been the only one in the kitchen when you have people over and you're you're just wondering, is anybody over here noticing that I'm doing all the work by myself? You can sympathize with Mary a little bit. And Martha reaches a a, a tipping point. She's had enough. She's feeling deserted abandoned to the kitchen, relegated to do all the chores all by herself, and she has convinced herself that she's the only one in the house willing to do what is necessary. So in her frustration, who does she go to? She doesn't go to her sister, she actually approaches Jesus. You can see her words there in the middle of verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You can hear the, 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 the annoyance and the irritation in her words. You do care about this, don't you, Jesus? There seems to be sort of an underlying, subtle accusation since she goes to Jesus and asks him, Doesn't he care? That this is really Jesus' fault that Mary isn't helping her. You know, Jesus, you're the authority here, you should do something about this. And then she goes even one step further and she tells Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me, Jesus. You know, since we know what Mary's doing, she's sitting there and she's listening to the teaching of, of Christ. Martha is saying, Jesus, quit teaching my sister and tell her to get into the kitchen and start helping me. You know, it isn't, in Martha's mind, it it's, it's, isn't that Mary never gets to sit at the feet of Christ. It's just that right now, there's something more important. And that something more important is hospitality. It's, it's being busy. Now we know, many of us know, how this plays out. Many of us are familiar with this text. But we can imagine, you know, for those, those in the room, we're assuming when, when Martha welcomed Jesus, that she also welcomed his disciples. Imagine being in the room when when this plays out. Jesus is teaching, Martha bursts through, and she is fuming. She says what she says to Jesus, essentially questioning him and telling him what to do. Imagine being in the room and you're wondering, is she right? I mean, should, should somebody be in there helping her? Or more likely, they're wondering, how in the world is Jesus going to respond to this question? to this frustration, to this demand. And we see there in verse 41 how Jesus responds. And first, he, he repeats her name. He says her name twice. Martha. Martha. When a name is repeated twice, it's, it's an, a sign of emotion. Here in this context, it's likely that it's a, a sign of Jesus' tenderness. That he's not flying off the handle in light of questioning and and demanding, but he speaks to her, yes, in a form of gentleness, but also with the authority of the Son of God, he corrects Martha. And you know, if we don't pay careful attention to Jesus' response, we, we might misunderstand and misapply this passage. We might, in a really quick reading of this text, think that, you know what, serving is not important What really matters is just being contemplative all the time and just sort of living life, uh, just thinking all the time. Let's just go be monks somewhere together. But that's not what Martha is corrected for. Look again there in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She's corrected for being anxious and for being troubled about many things. If Jesus were saying, don't worry about serving, that wouldn't sit with the rest of Scripture. It wouldn't sit with the rest of Jesus' ministry and His teaching. Luke had just recorded for us the the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we learn what it is to love your neighbor and, and to be a neighbor. And it's to... Demonstrate self-sacrificial love that inconveniences you. Also, later on, Jesus will tell the disciples, who's the greatest among you? It's the one who serves. So Jesus isn't pitting, serving self-sacrificial service and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. Remember the contrast in verses 39 and 40. It wasn't Mary sitting and Martha simply serving. It's that she was distracted with much serving. So it isn't about serving others or being hospitable as if we don't have to worry about that anymore. Mary was learning and Martha was distracted. In her desire to do something good, Martha has lost sight of that which truly matters. She's lost sight of the most important thing. She has become distracted. is to be pulled in a different direction. Her attention was directed away from Christ and onto something else. And it's, it's scary and it's a warning for us that something that, that starts out good and right, like, like her welcoming Jesus and wanting to demonstrate hospitality, can become an avenue through which we demonstrate a sense of selfishness when we lose focus on Christ. You know, it's easy for us. Even as you seek to serve, maybe even serve in a ministry in church, to begin to think, am I the only one that that cares you know, maybe you clean better than anybody else in the entire church. Am I the only one? Do I pay closer attention? Does anybody else care about this church? Where you go frustrated when people don't notice you or support you or show up? You know, selfless service can quickly become just religious busyness when we lose sight of Christ and then we become anxious and, and troubled in our spirits. We forget the reason we do what we do, the reason we serve, because we become distracted. So the cares of this world that choke out the Word of God, we saw that in Jesus' parable, that, that sometimes the seed falls and the cares of the world choke us out. The cares of this world that choke out the Word of God can sometimes be good things that become ultimate things, that become idolatrous things. It may be, when we grow frustrated in that way, it may be like an alarm going off that we have redirected our attention away from Christ and onto whatever it is that we are doing. You know, a passage I, I send out to the volunteers uh, somewhat regularly is First Peter 4:11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We do everything we do for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this this distraction, this turning away of her attention from Christ to, to everything she had to do, leads her to being anxious and troubled. One commentator, he said, she is scolded not for hustling and bustling, but for fretting and fussing. That's a hard sentence. It was easier to type than say. She is scolded not for hustling and bustling, but for fretting and fussing. She started out by welcoming Jesus, but she's lost the right posture in serving Jesus. She's become eaten up with concern. Her priorities have gotten out of whack. They've been actually reversed. She's lost sight of Jesus, the Son of God, and the fact that He is in the other room, and He is here, and He is teaching His message. And all the while, she's convinced that she's right. She's convinced that she's the only one doing the right thing. You know, there's, there's danger in some of these distractions that we've, we've talked about because they can be so subtle and we can self-righteously convince ourselves that we are in the right. We want to maintain our focus on Christ. As one of the elders, I can tell you that, that we, we labor for this not to only to be true in our lives and, and in the lives of each of us individually, but as a church, as a body. We want to lead in such a way that we don't get distracted by that which um, is not primary. So you can pray for the elders of this church that we would have discernment to lead in a way that keeps the church focused on that which is necessary. You know, there's important decisions to be made. There's things to be done and around the church. There's ministries to be led. There's money to be spent. There are people to be served. But ultimately, we want all of that, all of that, to be subservient to the message and the teaching of Christ. We want those things to be secondary and actually flow out of our commitment to Christ himself. Our commitment as a church to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So both individually and corporately, we want to be aware of of the danger of distraction. We've been hinting at it all this time, but we, we might ask in, in light of that, so what is it that we need to protect? What is it that ought to be, be the main thing? Well, we see in verses 41 and 42 the priority of sitting at Jesus' feet. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, in one sense, Martha is making a mistake that probably everybody in this room has made. She's getting bogged down in the details of hospitality and forgetting the point of serving guests in the first place. is to enjoy the company. You ever have a fun party planned and you end up fighting all day because the house? Me either. But, you know... That we get distracted. You know, the meal has to be perfect, and I have to cook this right, and the steaks have to be the right temperature, and everybody has their own temperature. Martha's making a mistake that likely we have all made. But when the company that's coming over is Jesus, the mistake is magnified to a whole new level of meaning. You know, Jesus had already taught his disciples that they are blessed for seeing the fulfillment of that which was promised. The prophets wrote about these things and they wanted to see this day. Blessed are you because you get to see the things that you see and you get to hear the things that you hear. You are in the very presence of Christ. You are so blessed to have this. The prophets longed to see this. The disciples get to experience it. And Mary gets to experience this. But Martha's distracted. She's busied herself. She's become anxious and troubled. Mary, though, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she is listening to his teaching. You know, Mary doesn't actually have recorded speech here. But her her actions speak for themselves. It's like the sinful woman back in Luke chapter 7. She didn't say anything. But her actions spoke very, very loudly. And Mary's actions speak loud as well. Because to to sit at someone's feet is a picture of placing yourself under that person's authority, particularly the authority of their teaching. You know, when Paul was recalling his former life in the book of Acts, he was saying, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I sat at His feet. He he was my teacher. He was my instructor. I submitted myself underneath His authority. So she sits down in the posture of learning from Jesus. You know, Mary is encroaching, even crossing social norms here. Women weren't to sit at the feet of a rabbi and to be trained by a religious leader, again, in this culture. You know, I was reading a, a memoir recently about a man who grew up in Mississippi, and he he grew up and he he took a wife and he's he's taking his wife to Thanksgiving dinner for the first time, and he's explaining to his wife that that the the, the tradition, at least in his part of Mississippi, I don't know if this is like more prevalent in the South or not, but he. In, the, in his part of Mississippi, in the south, the men ate Thanksgiving dinner first, and then the women got to come in and eat. And it wasn't like we do at Potluck where the women get to get in line first, but the men are like right in line up. They waited till the men were done eating, and then the ladies got to come eat. And so he's explaining to his wife on the way down, listen, this is the way we do this, and you know what, there's, there's like old reasons you know maybe the men had to go out on the farm and so they needed to hurry up and eat and his wife's like you're not going out to farm after thanksgiving dinner that doesn't make any sense so when the men sat down to eat his wife just pulled up a chair she grabbed her plate she sat down and she ate with the men and that's kind of how i envision what mary is doing here she's crossing those social norms she's she's sitting at the feet of her teacher jesus Christ. Women weren't considered learners in Israel. It would have been very rare for a rabbi to teach a woman. But Mary knows that Jesus is different. He has come to call a people to His own possession that are all, men and women alike, meant to be learners and those who would grow again in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants all of His people to know Him, to know His message, and to grow in the knowledge of Him. So Mary doesn't pull up a chair and eat Thanksgiving dinner, but she sets herself at the feet of Jesus. You know, despite social norms, despite cultural pressure, despite Mary grumbling or Martha grumbling in the kitchen, she chooses. Jesus says the more important matter, and Jesus defends her decision. He defends her decision. This won't be taken away from her. He says. He encourages ladies to be learners of the word, to know the scriptures, and to be educated in the things of God. So Jesus keeps surprising his audience here. The last text we studied had a Samaritan as the hero of the story, the one who did good, the one who actually obeyed the spirit of the law. And now he commends a woman for sitting at his feet and hearing his teaching instead of being in the kitchen preparing dinner. That's radical in this culture specifically jesus says that mary has chosen the good portion you know while martha is anxious and troubled by many things he says mary has chosen the most important thing the the necessary thing which is listening to the teaching of jesus she's a listening disciple she's spending time with jesus even at the expense of laboring and being distracted. She understood something that we might commonly miss, that Jesus isn't impressed with the same sort of things that we're impressed with. When I visit somebody's house, maybe I'm doing a pastoral visit, and they have kids, and I walk in, and the house is immaculate, I'm like, man, that's impressive. That's, that's hospitable. Jesus, Jesus isn't concerned about the meal. He isn't concerned about what they're having. Mary has chosen the more important matter. It seems that, you know, if Jesus comes over for dinner, you throw a couple frozen pizzas in the oven, and you sit down, and you listen. It's better to be a listening disciple than to be an immaculate host. The word portion here, it just means like part of, part of the whole. She's, she's chosen the right portion. Sometimes it's used for a portion of land. Sometimes it's used like your inheritance. But sometimes it's used to describe like a portion of food. And I think that's given the context here. It's that you have all this food and here's your portion of it. Mary has chosen the right portion. Mary has chosen, I think Jesus is using it this way, to, to partake of the most important meal. She's not worried about the food in the kitchen. She's worried about the food of the teaching of the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus says this will not be taken from her. The good portion will not be taken away. Jesus will not insist that she stop sitting at his feet and she stop hearing so that she can go busy herself and become distracted. Jesus' word is that necessary. It is of the utmost importance and it will not be taken from the one who sits down at his feet and listens, even if there's food to be made in the kitchen. So what does this mean for us? How do we metaphorically come alongside Mary and say, scooch over a little bit, I too need to sit down at the feet of Jesus? Well, first, we should recognize that the good portion is hearing the word of the Lord. The most necessary thing is hearing the word of the Lord. Imagine Jesus were teaching this morning, but you didn't know till you got here. And now, all of a sudden, half the church is downstairs in, in the dining hall, and they're, they're making their casserole a little bit better because Jesus is here. And my casserole's not fit for Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is up here teaching. It'd be ludicrous. It'd be, it'd be ridiculous. We understand The importance of of hearing the word of Christ. Now we know that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We can't literally sit down at his feet. We can't sit down and listen to him audibly. But that doesn't mean there's no application for us here. You know, even, even prior to the death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He told the disciples that, you know what? When I, when I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit and He will recall everything to your remembrance. You know what? Some of those disciples wrote down for us the gospel and what Christ has accomplished for us. You know, we don't have everything that Jesus ever said recorded, but we have everything we need, we need to know Christ, to love Christ, and to obey Christ in the Word of God. In fact, the Bible is a story about God glorifying Himself by sending His Son into this world to Pay the price for our sins so that we might be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. All of scriptures testify to this plan. In the Old Testament, we learn about God as creator and he's holy and he's righteous and he's good. And we learn about how, how we've all rebelled against him in sin. We see God's law. And we see in God's law our total inability to live up to that law and to obey Jesus, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we see, even in the Old Testament, these promises of a coming Savior and what He will do to accomplish the redemption that we all so desperately need because of sin. And the Gospels record for us the coming of Christ and in all humility being born, leaving heaven's glories, taking on flesh so that He might be substitute for people like us. He lived a perfect and righteous life, perfectly fulfilling the law, never once sinning against the law that you and I have fallen so short of. But His mission was was to come and to take the penalty of sin on Himself. That's what Jesus was doing on that cross. He was bearing the penalty for our sins. And He he accomplished it. He was buried. and He was resurrected. Demonstrating that He's victorious. That His work is completed. That his, His sacrifice is accepted before the Father. The epistles go even further, and they they fill in some of these details, and they tease out the ways that we should respond to this message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. We should turn away from our sins, and we should rely fully, throw ourselves at the mercy of God, come to Him empty-handed, however you want to say it. We renounce any goodness in ourselves, we renounce our own righteousness, and we come to Him and we say, Lord, I'm fully, fully, relying on the work that you accomplished for us. We're instructed in God's word and how we can be forgiven of our sins. The epistles also instruct us in sound doctrine and how we might live in a God-pleasing way, how we might live life unto the glory of God, and they point us forward to the return of Christ where we will enjoy His presence forever. We might have the hope of eternal life nowhere else nowhere else but the bible do you get that sort of life giving nourishment we go to the word of god to learn about god and see christ more clearly and beholding the glory of the lord we are transformed from one degree of glory to another if you want to know, how does this text apply to me? How do I sit at the feet of Jesus? It's, it's understanding and learning and studying and knowing your Bible. Read it. Read it again and again. Every time you read your Bible, you'll begin to put more pieces of the puzzle together. Don't give up. Keep laboring. Keep going. Keep studying. This is the necessary portion. It's necessary. One writer Donald Whitney said this, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. The milk and meat of Scripture. Know the Word. And that's what we want to do when we gather together. This isn't just an individual pursuit. It is that, and and, and it should be your goal for it to be that. But it's also something we do corporately. We do it together as a body. We do it here on Sunday morning. We do it downstairs in Bible hour. We do it as we just have coffee with one another and we share what God is teaching us and what we're learning, and we seek to encourage and love one another. So we sit at the feet of Jesus as we take His Word into our hearts. Another thing we ought to consider doing is take inventory of your life and consider what tends to creep in and replace the word of God as the most necessary pursuit of your life. You know, it might be something like Martha where it's something good that distracts you from Christ. Something like our Our jobs, those are good and they're necessary, and God gives us work as a way to please and glorify Him and as a way of supporting our families and our our church. Work is a good thing, but many of our jobs are so all-consuming, if we allow it to be. You know, your work, your work will likely take as much as you're willing to give it. I probably have the only bosses in this world that are saying, Kyle, make sure... You don't work yourself to death. Every other employer is going to take whatever you're willing to give. Whatever you're willing to give. So let's not cloak our our workaholism in in spiritual language, but we should ask ourselves, am I neglecting the most important portion? Am I neglecting the most necessary thing? Maybe that thing that's pulling you away and distracting you is something like entertainment or something like social media. You know, I'd encourage our, our younger people, don't go down the rabbit hole of scrolling TikTok and Instagram for three, four hours, hours and hours on end. It's, it's, a, it's a distraction. It's a worthless distraction. I'm not saying all, I'm not saying all social media is sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we need some help with this. And, and, and parents, our kids need some help with this they need us we, they need us to teach them right and good priorities what really matters they they need us honestly to protect them and to act on their behalf so that they are they are in a place where we can encourage those right priorities the world seeks to draw away our own hearts but man so many young people are being pulled away from Christ through the influence of people they've never met who make really cool and catchy videos. Whether it's work or, or social media or hobbies or friends or something else, the flesh tends to make these things feel so necessary, so important, so urgent. We need to be reminded this morning that some of these things matter, some of these things must be attended to, but none of them are so urgent. As the message of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Third, remember that Jesus isn't condemning self sacrificial service for others. He's not condemning self sacrificial service for others. He isn't pitting the two against each other as if one matters and one doesn't matter at all. He isn't saying, as as we mentioned earlier, the contemplative life is better than the life of, of service. Jesus values both loving, self-sacrificial service and quiet study before Him so that we might know Him, we might learn how to glorify Him. But how do these two fit together? How does sitting at the feet of Jesus fit together with self-sacrificial service for others, the type of service we saw in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, we might say it this way, selfless service, self-sacrificial love begins when we focus less on keeping busy and more on what Christ delights to give to us, which is His Word mediated to us through the Holy Spirit of God. And we should gladly receive that. As we we learn who Christ is and what He's about, and and we learn His attributes and His character, and we learn what, what God is calling us to do, Self-sacrificial service should flow out of that, not the other way around. You know, not too long ago, I was listening to the testimony of uh, uh, Todd Beamer's wife. If that name doesn't ring a bell for you, maybe the words United Flight 93 and the words Let's Roll will ring a bell. He's the man who, who was on United Night 93 on... United Flight 93, on 9-11, he called 911 and reported that his flight had been hijacked and that he and several others were going to storm the cockpit there and try to overthrow the terrorists who had taken over the plane. You know, the operator later stated that Todd was so calm she actually doubted the truthfulness of his story. Is he really on a hijacked plane? He doesn't sound like he's on a hijacked plane. He asked her to read Psalm 23 and to pray the Lord's Prayer over the phone. You know, we all know that plane crashed as they gave their lives to save many other lives. But his wife stated this, Todd loved his life, but he knew his life was so much more than the 32 years he had on earth. His soul was secure even when his body wasn't because Jesus was his Savior. His soul was secure even when his body wasn't because Jesus was his Savior. His self-sacrificial act flowed out of his certainty of the person and the work of Jesus Christ that had been applied to him. And how does that knowledge come? How can we be certain that Jesus is who he says he is? How can we be certain that he is the Savior? It comes through the word God, the word is necessary because it points us to Christ, it magnifies the glory of God through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the glory of the gospel. Mary is commended here for choosing what is best and leaving something else for another time. You know, may we as Christians and as a church be careful that we're not distracted by things that are not our ultimate priority. May we be careful to sit at Jesus' feet and to devour His teaching and to take it into our own lives and to our own hearts as the most important portion. May our prayer be the prayer of the Apostle Paul found in Philippians 1, through 9-11. We'll close with this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more There's self-sacrificial love with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, may we focus our full attention on the gospel. May the, may the commitments that we have this week, even the good things that we have before us, may they all be motivated and driven by a love for you because we've soaked ourselves in the word that you've given us, which points us to Christ. And your Holy Spirit teaches to us as we study and as we hear it read and taught. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for falling so short. Or being so distracted. Lord, may you give us discernment as to what is best and how we might serve in ways that don't distract us. In Jesus' name, amen.